Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Forgotten Hollywood with Doug Hess here on JLJ Media. everyone and welcome to forgotten hollywood your podcast of memories of yesteryear my name is doug hess and if you're tuning into forgotten hollywood for the first time what i do on this podcast is take you on a journey back in time and share with you pieces of hollywood that you may or may not know about and in this episode we have a very special guest with us today and it's ruby uh, blondell who is the author of the book helen of troy in hollywood ruby welcome to forgotten hollywood thank you very much i'm happy to be here no, it's our pleasure, and thank you for uh, coming on, spending a few minutes to talk about your book, Helen of Troy in Hollywood. And first question I'd just like to kind of kick off to you is, just tell the audience a little bit about what this book is about and how the book came about. Well, the book was originally prompted by the movie Troy, which is not exactly forgotten Hollywood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, the representation of Helen in that movie made me so mad. I really... Okay. Um, did not care for it. And so I started, I wrote, um, my first article was about um, Diane Kruger in that film, and it was really pretty mean article because I hated that representation. But I started um, getting into um, Helen in Greek sources more through that, and I ended up, my plan was to do a book that was Helen in Greek myth and in film. Oh, okay. But I got through so much material on the uh, on the first topic that I did a whole book on Helen in Greek myth, which is just called Helen of Troy. Hmm. Um, and so then I moved the movie part into um, a second book, and that's what this is, Helen of Troy in Hollywood. Oh, excellent. Excellent. You know, you, it, I know you were kidding there uh, about the movie Troy and not being really forgotten Hollywood, but some people would actually prefer it was forgotten uh <laughs> there's some controversy with that film so i'll just leave it at that right <laughs> fair enough we could certainly talk about it but fair enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so you know when reading your book so helen of troy has really been depicted not only on the big screen the silver screen but also in television as well and really there's a lot more portrayal of her in film in tv than maybe what one would realize Yes, a lot of people have said to me, "Well, what are you? What is it about?" You know, I've never right. heard of her being in film, except for the infamous Troy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's true that some of these things really are forgotten, including um, some of them deserve to be forgotten, um, some of them less so. Um, there's an epic from the 1950s called Helen of Troy, directed by none other than Robert Wise, uh, which is it's truly terrible. I mean, I find. There are a lot of interesting things to say about it, but it's not a great movie, even by the standards of that genre. Um, but one of my favorite Helens, I have mm -hmm. two favorites. Um, okay. uh, one is a silent movie Helen, and the other one is Helen in a Star Trek episode. Um, 
But the, the silent movie one is probably going to be of the greatest interest to you and your, your audience, I would guess, because it really sure. is forgotten Hollywood. Right. Uh, the movie has been lost. Uh, that's only It's called The Private Life of Helen of Troy. And it was an early film directed by Alexander Corda, who then became famous uh, in, in the talkies. So it was one of the last silent films made because it's 27, the same year that sound came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was based on a best-selling novel at the time. And um, like I say, it's been lost, but about 20 minutes remain and uh, a lot of publicity materials, a lot of reviews, um, a lot of extraneous materials. So you can more or less reconstruct it um, pretty well. Yeah. Um, what do you think Helen of Troy has been such a quote-unquote quote unquote, hot topic and keeps showing up over and over again, whether it's on television or on the big screen? Well, I'd like to claim that she in some ways is a representative figure of cinema. Um, she's uh, the embodiment of female beauty. And as we all know, in early mm-hmm. Hollywood, especially the, the beauty of female stars is an obsession. Um, the first chapter of the book is giving uh, background and looking at various issues, like how do you present beauty on screen? Right. Um, and uh, uh, the role of beauty in early Hollywood and realism. And um, they were absolutely obsessed with beauty and beauty contests and they were also obsessed with classical antiquity, especially ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, Helen brings those two things together. She's the archetype of ultimate beauty. She's also the embodiment of somebody's idea about ancient Greek beauty. And in early Hollywood, they were very keen to appropriate antiquity for themselves to show that, that the movies were culture. That you have all this um, contempt for Hollywood, which people still have today, sure. um, especially from the East Coast. Um, and so um, the discourse around the movies in Hollywood leans very heavily on classical antiquity and likening the stars to ancient gods and goddesses, uh, statues especially, all that kind of thing. So I think that in that sense, Helen represents the movie for me. Gotcha. Uh, in terms of now, you had mentioned earlier that, um, and we're not going to pick on one particular film, but you said the way she was portrayed in the uh, the, the early two thousand in Troy, and then there were some others that were not very pleasing in your eyes uh, of Troy. Why do you think that is? Do you think that they were trying to purposely uh, mischaracterize her, or was it just a pure lack of knowledge? What what do you portray to that? I think it's almost the opposite. My two least okay. favorites are the two epics. Um, okay. In the book, uh, Troy and the 1950s Helen of Troy. And I think because these were high prestige genres, which cost a lot of money, the filmmakers were um, very nervous and very conservative. And for the one in the 50s, too, there's a huge amount of influence of, of um, um, censorship. Ah. Right. Uh, Helen of Troy is in her essence a transgressive woman uh, and yet Robert Wise was trying to make her the heroine of his epic and um, I read the correspondence um, with the, with the um, MPAA and it's kind of sad really <laughs> they're just it's like no you're showing too much of her breast you know and it's really hard to show Helen of Troy is the essence of like 
sexiness and desirability and also a female transgression. And to show that in a 1950s context is really difficult. Right, right. <laughs> so I think for different reasons, but in both cases, because of the high stakes of the epic genre, uh, those two films are the least successful. Whereas I love the silent movie and I also love television in general because right. the stakes are lower and so they're willing to take more risks and do different things. Uh, ah. Just as an example of that, Helen is normally blonde, um, super blonde in Wise's epic. They took an Italian actor and they bleached her hair and lightened her skin. Anyway, um, <laughs> but in, in television, you get, there were two dark-haired Helens, both of whom were played by interracial actors. So you, you're willing to take a chance and do something different. Yeah, interesting. In, in your research, did what surprised you? Uh, did anything in particular surprise you uh, when you were writing this book and doing your research? Well, I started from a position of zero knowledge about film and Hollywood. Okay. So a lot of things surprised me as I went sure. along. Uh-huh. Um, the, the cult of beauty in Hollywood, I didn't realize how much that was wrapped up in uh, ancient Greek themes. There's this great article by Ruth Waterbury for, uh, for Photoplay mm -hmm. uh, called um, Olympus Moves to Hollywood. And it shows, um, uh, it, it's about how allegedly the, uh, the movie stars embody the appearance right down to the specific vital statistics um, uh, of the ancient gods. And um, the, uh, the usual model for, this, for women is the Venus de Milo. Mm -hmm. So all these movie stars were compared to the Venus de Milo and a whole bunch of them would have publicity photos of themselves with the Venus de Milo or a list of their so-called vital statistics, which is crazy because the Venus de Milo is a huge marble statue. You know, she doesn't have vital statistics. <laughs> yeah, kind of tough to um, in there. So the degree of obsession with that and also in the, in the discourse of beauty surrounding Hollywood, like there's one article which talks about how allegedly hundreds of young women at Wellesley College have the same vital statistics as the Venus de Milo, which is, you know, it's insane. Right. But they were in this kind of, if you want to call it, beauty contest between American and Greek beauty. So they wanted to claim that the modern American girl, as they usually call her, is the modern, is the reincarnation of the ancient Greek beauty. But they also sometimes want to say that actually she's better. You know, the Venus de Milo is a bit overweight. <laughs> So I could go on and on about that. There's so much fascinating material about the subject of beauty in that period. Sure, sure. Well, and, and to some degree, uh, do you think that carries on today with Hollywood? Um, the obsession with beauty, definitely. Sure. Uh, it's a little, little different. You don't right. advertise films by giving people's vital statistics anymore, which they used to. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, the thing that interests me that persists, and this goes all the way back to ancient Greece, mm -hmm. is this tension that we have between ideas of beauty as objective and subjective. We have the cliche, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. And just about everybody would agree with that. Sure. But we don't behave as if beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, we have beauty contests. I mean, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, what's the point of a beauty contest? Like, how are you going to judge anybody? Uh, so you see these conflicting views, and it uh, it creates issues around representing Helen because she's, by definition, the most beautiful woman in the world. So you're going to say, 
it's in the eye of the, eye of the beholder, then it really shouldn't matter what she looks like. You know, it's it, um, almost anybody could play the part. Yeah, the, exactly. Theoretically, yes, correct. You know, if the audience really believes it's now the beholder, they should be like, well, oh well, I guess you know, Paris liked her. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's not what happens. What happens is they try to make somebody look like what they think is like a cultural icon of beauty. And then the audience reacts accordingly. And the audience will say, she's not beautiful enough. Right. And they're already yeah. casting a judgment when they say that. They're not just saying, well, she's not to my taste. They're saying she is not, she does not have the beauty of Helen. Right. Well, the other thing I think Hollywood does and we can debate whether this is on purpose or not, but a lot of individuals do not probably even truly understand Helen of Troy, period, the ancient Greek aspect. And so a lot of times they are looking to film and culture to set the idea of what history, for lack of a better word, really is. And I think Hollywood really takes advantage of that freedom to, to help direct and shape what others believe is a realistic view of whether it's Helen or Troy or, I mean, there, I, I saw the new uh, trailer for Napoleon that's coming out and Hollywood takes this uh, creative licensing to be able to play loose with, with the rules. And I, I think a lot of times folks take that as a gospel. Yes. Um, and they're completely entitled to do it however they want. Absolutely. Um, and especially when it comes to Greek myth, because uh, this is what my first Helen book was about. There are multiple versions, right. all kinds of different ways of approaching it, and Hollywood is completely entitled That's to right. uh, whatever they want with it. But the other side of that coin is that why do they make movies about antiquity? Because they think people will want to go see them. Correct. And people want to go see them partly because they have this cultural cachet. Uh, everybody's read these stories at school. They think they know the story and they want to go see their idea. So you do end up, and for some of the films I talk about, I, I did talk about this issue, you end up with this tension between, on the one hand, the writer or the director is trying to do something different. And on the other hand, the audience is saying, you're wrong. That's wrong, you know, because of what they, they read in school or because of their own personal preference for a certain version. And it's a real catch 22 for the filmmakers, I think. Right. And, and then everybody kind of gets beat up in the process because everybody yep. thinks they are the right version or the right um, story. I'll leave yes. it that way. I'll in, just in give you one example. Another one that I really like, it's, it's a mini series called Helen of Troy from 2003 and it was on television and I interviewed the, the writer for it, and she had wanted to do a feminist version. And actually, I think it is a feminist version. Okay. But I also, a lot of the book, I look at reviews and reactions um, and online reactions, and people were furious with it because it wasn't, quote, unquote, the Iliad. And she didn't even pretend it was the Iliad. You know, she used different sources, and she was trying to tell the story a new and different way. But people have this idea of what they think it should be and, and are very very, very hostile, very unfortunately. I think it's a, in some ways a really interesting rendition. Yes, and, and, and I'm sitting here, with, as you say that, uh, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people, like you said, have, have read that in school that was required in the English classes growing up. And so I guess in one way you, you, you kind of want to 
pat society on the back that people actually remember and listened. Uh, but there, but when it comes to Hollywood, then they almost uh, scorn Hollywood for being taking any liberty to create, be creative uh, in the process. And, and I, I don't know, I, I just find that kind of an oxymoron that uh, we want Hollywood to be creative. And then when they, when they do, we scold them for it. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe I'm a hypocrite here because this whole project started with me hating a, a <laughs> representation of Alan of Troy. <laughs> um, but that wasn't just because I was like, it's not sure. accurate or it's not my idea of beauty. I had, I had my reasons. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, my own image of Helen was different and I didn't take issue with it. Um, so it's not, it's not that you're not allowed to be critical, right. but that the framework that you adopt when you go into a critique. Yeah. And if you think that, if you think that, you know, the Iliad and this, I won't even get into it, but I, there's some stuff in the book about, about people's really kind of, slightly daft reactions yes yeah and, yeah and you know and i think to your point that if you took a hundred people and said pick your ideal helena troy we'd probably have a hundred different versions of of yeah. who that would be and who would be that lead character etc cetera, etc cetera. and to go back to what we kind of circle back to talk about to each of us we would be correct but the other mm -hmm. nine, nine would tell tell the other one just how terrible they were. By, by yes, and, and yet at the same time, going back to what we said before, you have this obsession with absolute standards of beauty that has not gone away. There, there are all these like computer programs now that will tell you how beautiful you are and tell you what to do about it. And guess what? You have to be white and you, you, know, you have to have certain very predictable features yeah. Yeah, tall and, and you can't weigh over yeah. this much or yeah. the list goes on and on and i think yeah. that's really a terrible thing for society especially for young uh female mm -hmm. women because uh, you keep hearing stories about um, um how that really affects especially the the younger women uh in, in yeah. probably don't want to be uh wrong here affects everybody but i, I really think it, it really hits hard to the the younger generation yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, of course, Helen of Troy was considered um, to be a model uh, um, for women herself, and often in a really bad way. Again, some of my favorite material is the early stuff and um, the stuff about how she was a bad example and she caused all kinds of bad things to happen. So how are you? Uh, and, you know, Holly was very, very nervous about putting bad role models on the screen. So you have trying to, um, how do you justify or um, defend putting this, "Quote unquote bad woman" in your movie, and it's interesting because um, this really started from the beginning of Hollywood. But antiquity, one reason they had several reasons for being obsessed with it. One of which we discussed before, but another reason was because it was culturally respectable. Uh, you could do kind of slightly shocking or scandalous things, and you could say, "Well, it's all art; it's all culture." Um, you know, we need to know this. the The private life of Helen of Troy would. Uh, I, I looked into a, a lot of uh, the reception of it, mm -hmm. my audience, and and I found one where in this in a city in Portland, uh, the police department didn't want to show the film because it was scandalous, but the movie theater owner defended it on the grounds that it was a classic and every child should know it. <laughs> so you can use the classics. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille is the most famous example of this using 
classical yeah. themes that you can show all kinds of scandalous behavior. Yes. And, and um, to a degree, I think Hollywood today actually kind of thrives on that to, to, a, to a degree to help with publicity and what's the old saying, um, press is press, there's no such thing as bad press. Uh, uh-huh. kind of yeah. helps generate more excitement and more enthusiasm for the, for the film. And if somebody tells you, oh, you can't go see it, that makes people want to go see it. Right, right. Yeah. Right or wrong, good or bad. In terms yeah. Well, Ruby, thank you so much. I know we're getting close here on, on time here, uh, but I want to thank you for coming on and spending some time with us today. Uh, I do believe you have a special offer if somebody would like to go out and, and purchase this book. It's by uh, uh, Princeton Press. Is that correct? That's your publisher? I do indeed. Yes, it's Princeton University Press, and it's 30% off if you put in the code P325. P325 is the code for 30%. That's the discount code for 30% off, yeah. And just for our listeners, that's good only at the uh, Princeton Press. Uh, I imagined so. I, yeah, yeah, it must be. It must yeah. be on their website. Technically, the book isn't even out yet, but, yes. but it exists. But you yeah. can pre-order it and, and um, make sure that uh, you go out and get a copy of uh, Ruby's book, Helen of Troy in Hollywood. You're not going to be disappointed. And, and Ruby, thank you again for coming on and sharing uh, a few minutes with us. And we really appreciate you. Uh, coming on and telling us uh, a little bit of Helen of Troy. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Just search for Doug Hess or Forgotten Hollywood. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram at HessDoug14. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes or another podcast service, please subscribe or rate and review this episode. Tune in next time for the latest episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Thank you for listening, and we will see you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.